Hey guys, welcome to The Real Estate Monopoly. My name is Kerwin Donis. Today's guest is Roderick Capello. Roderick is an orthopedic surgeon who began investing in real estate five years ago, and he's now invested in 2,500 units across five states. Roderick, please introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a little bit about your background, and I'd love to know how you got into real estate starting out in the single family space. All right. That's a long journey. Hopefully this is a three-hour podcast. No, just <laughs> um, thanks for having me on the show. First of all, really appreciate it. Um, you know, so my journey is such that I was a pediatric orthopedic surgeon and for a while things were going really well as far as, you know, people would generally think making a bunch of money and, and enjoying what I was doing. And then a few things happened that I realized that there was a lot, I was in a lot less control of my situation than I thought. A hospital CEO made a decision to cut my compensation by about 40% and there was nothing I could do about it. And so I realized that, hey, you know, things are going great when they're going great, but I don't control all the cards here. And so... You know, when that happened, I realized I needed to look at other ways of, um, of making income. Uh, I looked at things like network marketing because, you know, all doctors should be doing network marketing. Just joking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I looked at ways of creating passive income. Uh, I joined a mastermind group, which had a, a bunch of real estate investors in it. And so, uh, but the first time I, the first foray into real estate was actually the single family home. Uh, I had a friend of a friend introduced me to a guy. And, you know, I was putting up the money. He was doing the work. And, uh, you know, one of the things I learned from that, uh, is that you really got to pick your partners properly. And so, uh, you know, that was a, a what do you call it, $40,000 lesson. I lost about $40,000 in that deal. And uh, that was the first and last time I ever did something like that. As that was going down and I got that really bad taste in my mouth, um, I, I started, uh, had been going to some real estate conferences and learning more and more and realized, hey, this sounds like a much better deal. It's not binary, like you're either occupied or you're not. It's 200 units and 100. 80 of them might be occupied at any one time. So it's not pass fail. It's, or yes, no, it's, you know, there's a, there, you can have a lot of success, even if just you know, 90% of the units are, are filled. And so, um, you know, I realized that, you know, maybe the single family world wasn't for me. So I kind of pivoted and looked at the, the, the multifamily world. No, that's fascinating. And there's a lot I want to dive into there, but to back it up, I think a lot of people, and I can just maybe speak for people my age, but we, I have friends and peers that are going into, you know, they're going to start graduating college really soon and they're going to go take the MCAT and get into med school and go become doctors. And that's seen as a really secure pathway. I think the, one of the most secure pathways. And it's honestly like a paradigm shift and, and break for, for me and for people that maybe haven't even been exposed to that. Can you just dive into and expand yeah. on maybe, is it as secure as it's made out to be? And if not, why, what advice would you have for somebody? Let's say they're about to pursue that path. Like they're, they're sure that that's what they want to do. How can they mitigate the impact of something like that happening? And what are some steps they can take? And, and I guess, what, what advice would you give to a younger version of yourself? So in short, the, 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 what you think of a doctor is, is mostly a fallacy, to be very, very honest with you. Most doctors, you know, cannot stop working uh, for, six, for six months and still maintain that lifestyle. That big, huge house is, uh, is over-leveraged. All those cars, they're not paid for. And so neither is, neither is that vacation home. So we make a high income so we can afford to pay big mortgages and, you know, high car notes, but, um, you know, the, the most doctors are not as rich as you think. And so uh, if I w- could tell my younger self, I would say, you know, live within your means. One of the things that motivated me those times when I was studying hundred hours a week was, man, I can't wait to buy that Mercedes or that Porsche or get that 5,000 square foot home. And, and so it's sort of that monument of my success, if you will, and if I could, I would tell anybody that was going down that path, not just medicine, engineering, law, uh, you know, entrepreneurs that finally start making it big, stay within your means. Don't buy that house until you can put, you know, 30% down. Don't, you know, wait till you can pay cash for that car. 
uh, you know, because then you get what they call the golden handcuffs. And mm -hmm. when you are motivated by, I have to make a certain amount of money, you're going to be forced to make some decisions that maybe you're not in your best interest because you have a bill to pay, you know, and then that's compounded by having a wife and kids and you have a responsibility and stuff like that. So the main thing is, you know, still st stay within your means, um, you know, grow gradually, buy things as you can afford them, not as you can afford the payment, but actually you can afford the thing itself. <clears throat> that's one of the main things I would tell myself. That's awesome. And that's something I can completely relate to. We started making some money in our real estate journey and we got tempted by, you know, going out and buying certain things and, and spending money on certain things and really increasing our expenses. But we applied the principles that our rich dad, uh, Robert Kiyosaki taught us in, in the book that, you know, you live below your means and then use that money and invest in real estate. Now, I would love to know, I mean, what actually like practical steps could somebody take to live below their means? What does that look like? You touched on it by saying mm -hmm. maybe oh, making sure you can uh, afford 30% of it as a down payment. Mm -hmm. Can you just briefly explain that with that, that that actually looks like? Cause I, I would, I'm actually curious. Yeah. I mean, that's different things for different people, but I would say you probably don't want your, your, your rent or your mortgage to be, I would say less than 30% of your take home pay. Right. And so a pretty conservative amount, um, you know, wait until you can afford to pay for the car. Uh, you know, wait for you to afford to pay for the vacation. Wait, wait till until you can actually pay off your credit card fully at the end, at the end of every month, like I do now. There was a time when I was opening credit cards to pay the balance on another credit card. You know, and and that's a that's a stressful way to live. Yeah. You know, the problem is that it's you know everybody everybody else seems to put their best foot forward, and and if you're living honestly, you realize how many people out there are not living honestly. We used to have the joke uh, when I lived in DFW and I was young and. And going out and stuff like that, the $30,000 millionaire, the guy that's making 40 grand, just got out of college and has the, the latest BMW and lives in the uptown high rise. Like, I can't afford all that stuff, but everyone's trying to put their best foot forward. Um, and it's really easy to get into sucked into the, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, as they say. Um, you know, and, and so but that looks like different things for different people, you know, using that money to purchase cash producing assets and then using that cash, not the principal, to buy, to buy your things. That's a great way to go. Yeah. Ken McElroy talks about that too, how he's bought a lot of his like quote unquote liabilities with cash flow from his cash flowing properties. And, and mm -hmm. so that's where we're big advocates of that. And we also use credit cards. I don't know if you know this about our journey, but we use credit cards at the beginning of our journey to uh, fund our wholesaling marketing. And so we're like believers in using debt responsibly, but I completely agree that it's important to just make sure you're being aware and having good financial habits. Um, and so you mentioned that you did eventually get that first uh, single family property that mm -hmm. uh, you said you had a $40,000 loss. I would love mm -hmm. to know, can you just explain why you pursued real estate as a doctor? I'm sure the mainstream narrative for investing is mm -hmm. you, know, you stocks and that's what we were raised to think you know, mm -hmm. investing is stocks. So how did you come about exploring real estate and how did you end up losing that, that, that money? Yeah. So yeah, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, that's kind of the the narrative, right? The, the Wall Street billion trillion dollar machine, really. Uh, and then also in medicine, a lot of doctors, including myself in the past, not currently, invest in surgery centers, hospitals, imaging centers. And some of my best investments have been in imaging centers. Um, but, you know, I, I knew that at some point I wasn't going to practice, I wasn't going to practice medicine forever. I wanted to back, back out. And, you know, if you're a partner in an imaging center or a surgery center, you're expected to bring patients there. So if you're going to retire, you're not going to have those investments anymore. They're going to make you sell them. And so, uh, you know, I thought if I'm ever going to be able to retire early or, or pull away from medicine, I need to have non-medical investments. Uh, and it also happened around the time that I got involved in the business mastermind with my, my good friend, uh, Kyle Wilson, which I'll give a shout out to because he really helped change yeah. my life. Um, and uh, some people in there, there was a lot of real estate investors. So I just had friends that did real estate. So naturally I gravitated towards that. If it was a bunch of crypto uh, investors, I probably would have done that. Who knows? But um, 
And so, you know, I, I heard, talk, talk, hear, heard people talk about flipping homes or, or um, you know, um, purchasing them and, and, you know, having the, the, um, the tenants pay the notes and creating some cash flow. And so I, I started talking to a guy that was, you know, pretty, pretty smooth talker and had some success. I even asked for references, which I think now is silly. Who gives a bad reference, right? If you're gonna ask me for a reference, I'm gonna give you somebody that's gonna say something nice about me, not the people that are gonna say something bad about me, right? <laughs> and so, you know, it's gonna be his, his know-how, his work. And, uh, and really, I guess, I mean, it's kind of, kind of funny. That was a you know, textbook. I, yeah, there were a couple of deals I lost because I was examining it too long. And then he, as soon as I said, yeah, we'll buy that one, he said, oh, I already sold. So I got sucked into buying a thing that was like um, a house that was about two hours from where I lived. And, and it was it was really terrible. And, and it was so far away that I didn't go look at the rehab, which seems silly now, and, you know. And um, and so he put some folks in that were, they were never, never going to qualify for a loan. Things were not going very well. So I showed that I, I approached one of my best friends who was a realtor and real estate investor. He lived near there. So he went and took a look and he's like, Ron, we need to talk. This guy's not even doing the rehab to code. There's an infant in there. There's poop on the wall. It was gross. It was terrible. It was unexposed electrical. It was like a liability. And so um, he basically got involved and, and um, we sort of fired that other guy. And then I had to ante up a whole lot more money to get it done the right way. And so all in all, um, you know, just to, um, just to get out from under the deal, I paid $40,000 and and uh, total. And one of my good friends says, there ain't no lesson like a bought lesson. So, you know, you remember the lesson you pay for. And, uh, and so I remember that lesson. And, and one of the things that was the, the worst taste in my mouth is really, I'm the one that made the decision to partner with that guy, right? You know, if you take full ownership of your decisions, did he, was he a shyster? Sure. But who, who decided to partner with him? I did. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I learned a lot from that as far as picking the right partners, making sure that it's, it's people that if you don't know them, that you know somebody that knows them, knows them well, really not just for them. You know, um, most people are not, but one or two people are removed from another person. So there's really no reason you should, you should um, have to do any kind of business with someone that's completely, you know, cold call or that you don't know at all. So, um, and then the other thing I learned is, uh, I think it was Ronald Reagan that said, trust, but verify, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, it was ridiculous that, you know, the first time I bought a property was two hours from my house one way. So I couldn't, I was too busy to go visit it. It was a three or four hour drive. And so whether that was planned on his part or just happenstance, who knows, but it discouraged me from going to taking a look and, and verifying what was going on. And so, you know, those are lessons that I've taken pretty much throughout, not just in real estate, but in life in general. Yeah. And that's a really interesting experience. You mentioned Kyle Wilson. We actually have his book back there. <laughs> I don't know if you can see yeah, it if you're on the video. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, he's awesome. And marketing master for sure. And sure. Um, I think that's a really interesting, amazing learning experience for you. And I know for us, we've had our ups and downs, but that sounds like a really painful one that I'm not sure if I could have gotten through that. I'm sure we could have, but, but how did you continue to push on? I mean, what motivated you? Well, I think a lot of people, especially in the audience, if they hear $40,000 loss, they probably would give up or would be definitely contemplating giving up and maybe realizing real estate isn't the right path for them. So what did you do? And maybe what was your mindset? Like, were you, did you consider stopping? No, no, no. There's really two things. Number one is uh, my family. You know, you guys are young. One day you're going to have a wife and kids probably, hopefully. And when you, look at later. Those kids, <laughs> yeah, when you look at those kids, yeah, I was, this is when I was like 45 years old. So um, when you look at those kids and you realize that, you're ultimately responsible for, for their, for their early lifestyle success. Obviously they're going to be responsible at some point. Mm -hmm. There is no stopping. There's no, there's no option. You know, I, I'll, I'll lie to myself. I'll fail on myself. I'll be lazy to myself. But when my kids are involved, then I'll go through, I'll go through a brick wall. I'll, I'll walk through fire, you know, and, and you'll sacrifice anything for your children. When you look down at this, this being and you see yourself in it, 
it's this amazing transformation in your mindset. That's one thing. So there was no stopping. My kids didn't go away. I, I was responsible for them. So I knew I had to continue on whatever journey that was going to be. I didn't know what the journey was going to be. The other thing is around that time, I'd gotten involved in a personal development journey because prior to that, I was the typical surgeon, uh, micromanager, egomaniac, you know, just really frustrated with things didn't go my way, pretty pessimistic, you know, uh, half um, glass, half full type of person. And I got involved in, uh, in this personal development. That's how I met Kyle Wilson. And I really started reading books. And one of the things I realized at the time was, you know, the measure of a person is what it takes to get them down. And so I thought to myself, is, that, is this it? This is the max. This is the best I can do. This is, this is who I am. This is going to get me down and shut me down. No, I'm bigger than this. I can overcome this. And so, so there really wasn't any other option but to say, okay, well, you know, um, uh, <laughs> I like quotes. I love quotes. Yeah. The one, one quote I love, this is Mike Tyson, former heavyweight champion, not the most eloquent guy in the world. You probably know this quote. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? <laughs> I got punched in the proverbial man, mouth and the gut at the same time. And so, you know, I, I had a choice to fold and, and go roll, curl, curl up in a ball and cry or learn a lesson and move forward. And, you know, um, I was very gun shy after that. You know, that my first multifamily investment, I had the money and had the know-how probably a year earlier, but I just kept, you know, man, I'm not ready. No, I'm not ready. And, you know, so it did cause some, me to be a little bit gun shy. I mean, a little post-traumatic post stress disorder, as I say, <laughs> PTSD. But, um, but no, there was no option, other option than to push forward. Yeah. And so did you, did you pursue multifamily after that? And what steps did you take, I guess, to, to make sure that that didn't happen again? Because of course, you know, a, a failure and a learning lesson is only as good as the knowledge you get that yeah. can kind of help you prevent making that mistake again and learning from it and growing from it. Yeah, you, you're going to hear an underlying theme, uh, again, from Kyle Wilson's uh, mastermind group, Inner Circle Mastermind. Some people that I met there, and particularly uh, uh, Robert, Robert Helms, Russell Gray, mm -hmm. and, and then Mark Kinney. Those are some of our mentors in real estate. And then a young lady named Tammy, Tammy Mitchell, who is a, a forever a very positive person, a uh, very uplifting person. And so she actually, you know, she was talking to me about, hey, listen, uh, she, she kind of coached me through the, kind of the back end of that deal and said, listen, here's what I'm doing over here. And so she actually introduced me to Mark Kinney, who I invested with the first time as a passive investor. That's how we met. And so, you know, she was a friend of mine through this mastermind group and she vouched for Mark, who I didn't know at the time uh, very well at all. And so, you know, that was the first foray into, okay, I trust this person. She, she's vouching for this person. I think it's safe to move forward. Whereas the other guy, the single family home guy, nobody vouched for him. I just met him uh, in a group of people and I just decided, ah, it sounds like he knows what he's talking about. So I'll move forward with him. Yeah, well, that's awesome. And we, we've learned that the hard way. We've had partnerships where we trusted people kind of blindly and, and then we've been burned, but that's why we're so cautious now. And, and when I see a friend, I have friends that will, be kind of quick to partner with people. And I, I don't want to overstep, but I always tell them like, please make sure. I don't, I don't know if you, I'm sure you agree with this, but they say that uh, a partnership is more complicated and can be more challenging to get out of than a marriage. And I don't want to find out if that's true or not, just because, you know, we haven't had to, had to experience that on our end, but it's so interesting to kind of dive into your experience with partnerships and how you've learned to, to reform them. So what do you look for in a partner now? And I guess, how are you trusting but verifying? Are you making sure that that, that, that person, someone in your network knows them? And is that how you're approaching it? Yeah, you know, uh, before I answer that question, you know, there's a good quote that I also like is, uh, I think it was, um, I can't remember who said this, but that never do a good deal with a bad person or a bad deal with a good person. And so, but but to, to answer your question, um, you know, I, I guess through this network of people that I started meeting, uh, very successful business people of various different industries, um, I, I started, um, you know, Kyle Wilson was great at connecting the dots. And so I was now part of this network of people that I really knew and trusted. And so, it got to the point where I didn't need to go outside that circle to find what I needed. And that's yeah. 
never more true than now. You know, as you know, we got deals coming to us all the time. And so I don't need to invest with anybody or, or just do business with anybody I don't know. And so, um, and so that was the first, you know, opportunity for that where um, it was, a, it was within a network of people that I knew it was another blessing of being, being part of that, that network and that tribe is that uh, it was just a bunch of, uh, you know, givers, leaders, um, heart-centered people that just operated on a high level of integrity. And so that's another reason that I stopped doing medical investments is because I didn't know those people, you know, mm-hmm. hospital CEOs, uh, um, presidents of imaging centers, you know, I didn't know them personally. And as the more I hung out with this tribe of people, super positive, super uplifting people, the other side of the coin, the negative people was like nails on the chalkboard for me. And so uh, I just found myself gravitating towards one, one, one um, tribe and not the other. And, um, and so it was really actually easy uh, when you got, when you get comfortable with a certain level of integrity and you know, these people operating with that level of integrity, sort of that one fear, I guess the best I can say it is that caused that one fear to sort of dissolve, to disappear. And so it wasn't really even, I guess after I got over that PTSD early, it wasn't even a concern because I knew I was operating with a completely different level of integrity than the first person. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, hundred percent. And so I know I kind of know what, what comes next and what happened after that, but I'd love it if you could kind of fill in the dots and fill in the blanks of how do you got into multifamily more on the general partnership side and how what, what your multifamily journey has been? Yeah. So I made an investment. Uh, the first time I invested was uh, with uh, Mark Kinney of the Golden family of who we, we both know. And um, it's interesting because I go back and look at that performer now and, and uh, there's not even enough information for me to invest now. I would ask a lot more questions, but I was like, eh, it looks pretty good. I think I'll put some money down. Uh, and I did have the money and I did feel like I understood, but there was a couple of times when I passed because I got cold feet. And I, I did that deal. I did another deal uh, with another company and, and just kind of kept investing passively you know, maybe a, a couple of deals a year. And I found that everything seemed to be going as advertised and then started getting distributions. And then, uh, you know, I thought, man, this is pretty cool. All the while I'm going to real estate conferences and coaching uh, programs and learning it. And then I started the first deal sold. And I thought, whoa, this is the real deal. I got my money back plus a, plus a lot of friends. And so I realized, okay, this is the real deal. And so I started thinking to myself, how can I put how can I go all in with this? And so I, I divested a bunch of my old IRA money to, to invest in that and different, different uh, asset classes and different markets of, of multifamily also. But, um, but then I realized, you know, I'm in a very, very unique position in that I speak real estate and I speak doctor. You know, now doctors are notorious for uh, having people pitch all kinds of things for them because they know we have a lot of expendable income. We're also notorious for um, being a little bit um, uh, overconfident. So we feel like a lot of my, my colleagues, because we're good in one thing, that we know a lot about everything, which is not the case. And so there's a kind of a joke out there that when the doctors start investing, it's time to get out because it's probably late in the game. <laughs> and so, um, so, but I, so I realized, hey, I'm in this unique position that I know people with high integrity, putting good deals together. I've done those deals. I've learned enough to be able to identify, hey, this person is going to be great to partner with. I partnered with them in the past. This deal looks pretty solid. Here's how I know. I'm looking at particular numbers. I know what economic vacancy looks like. I know what job, uh, you know, the job growth should be. I know what, you know, expense growth should be and when it's a reasonable performance, when it's not. And I know most of my colleagues did not know that. And so I started, I realized that, you know, it would be selfish for me to not share that information. You know, a lot of people feel like I'm trying to sell something. I'm not trying to sell anything. (laughs) I'm going to invest and I'm going to put, I'm going to offer this to everybody in my network. And if they want to invest alongside me, great. I mean, should tell you something when both my parents at 73 and 75 years old are putting their money and multiple five figures alongside my money, that should tell you how serious I take this and and how passionate I am about this. And and so now I feel like 
I would be doing my network and the community a disservice if I didn't share this information. It would be selfish. It would be wrong. You know, I know that Wall Street, uh, you know, it's a billion dollar industry, maybe trillion dollar industry. And now it's kind of taking a little bit. And listen, listen, there, there's so much um, you know, crooked business going on in Wall Street. And, and if I can help people divest out of that, that industry and, and take money from Wall Street and the main street, you know, that's my passion is to help people do that and create passive income through, through real estate investing. And so at this point, I'll shout it from the mountaintops. And, and I, I, I'm not selling anything, I'm sharing it. Mm-hmm. The way I tell people is, listen, there's always going to be another deal. Don't let anybody motivate you from fear of loss. And if you're not, if you're not interested, my toes are still tapping. That's totally fine with me. You know, there's no hard feelings whatsoever. Yeah, no, I I remember I was writing a blog like a few weeks ago and I was researching the 2008 crash and uh, it, one of the, some of the headlines were the blood in the streets. And that's something that uh, a friend of ours actually always says and mentions that, that when she was uh, living in that time, she also remembers seeing those kind of really dramatic uh, headlines. And of course, I was really young. I was in the third grade when that happened. So I didn't really understand it at the time. <laughs> but Thanks, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> no, no, I'm not trying to age anyone. But point is, I mean, I'm really fascinated to know, Do you did you have an experience with like the stock market and Wall Street? And maybe I would love to know, do you know anyone that was negatively impacted or did you, were you personally negatively impacted by that stock market crash? And if you just dive into maybe yeah, what happened. No, not really. So I, I got out of residency or fellowship in 05. So 08 mm-hmm. happened. I just started making some money. Uh, I was just had enough money in the bank to start making like an investment imaging center. I hadn't really done a lot in the stock market. Um, I was just kind of, you know, contributing to my 401k, which was in some sort of fun. Um, but I did have some of my friends that were real estate bro- brokers and investors. You know, one of my friends, good friends had a, I don't know, 10 or 15 different single family homes. And, you know, that really affected him a lot. They really yeah. lost a lot of money. So yes, I do have some really close friends that suffered quite a bit from that. But for me personally, um, not really. No, I didn't have, I, I, I guess the timing was right for me. If I'd gotten out of training five years earlier, I would have had a bunch of money in that. But I, I just didn't have that much money saved up at that time uh, yeah. to really participate. So I guess another great way to learn a lesson is from someone else's mistake. Oh, yeah. right? So so I was blessed enough to be able to learn some lessons from other people's mistakes. Not always my mistake, although I made my fair share of those as well. 100%. That's why we are both, I know you're an advocate for having a mentor as well, because you can compress timelines. You can learn from their failures. And I'm always, I always say, why, why would you want to repeat those failures if you could just save time and the, the pain, save yourself the pain and stress? So I would say if you're, not, if you're not interested in the mentor, that there's probably not enough humility there. There's a concept that I really, really like. I read it in a book one time called Confident Humility. Listen, you're a very capable guy, as am I. You know, so we, there's no reason we shouldn't have confidence. But we don't know everything about everything. So there's no reason that we shouldn't be humble. Confident humility. Yeah. And if you're not humble, then you know what? Why would you want a mentor if you think you know everything? If you want a mentor, that means I am open to receiving information from somebody that I think is a master. That's yeah. confident humility. And a lot of people, I've heard the quote, I'm going I'm to butcher it, but they say the more they know, the more they realize they don't know. So, yeah. and that's what we, I, the more I'm learning, I'm like, oh, I don't know even, I don't even know the, the beginning of it. Uh, so, and that's a great leeway to my next point I want to, I want to expand on. I know you have a really unique perspective and you kind of like us, you came from a single family background and now you're in multifamily. I, I would love to know who is single family ideal and is it a good investment for certain people over multifamily and if so who who should invest in single family and maybe who might want to pursue multifamily over single family well yes yeah, so a great question um you know i think that i think there's so many different options in real estate which is one of the things i like about it you know different asset classes single family multifamily uh car washes atm funds residential assisted living uh you know storage health self-storage i could go on and on and on you know, I think single family 
is uh, if you want to be more active, you know, I mean, I think if you're going to do single family, a lot of those folks manage their own property. So if you want to be the person answering the calls when the toilet gets broken and things like that, and the, the lights aren't working, then that might be, if you, if you want to have hands-on, that might be something that uh, that is for you. I mean, at the end of the day, you're limited in how much you can purchase because you you have to put out a personal guarantee for each of those loans. And so at, after a while, the bank's going to say, mm, you already have 10 of these, we're not going to do any more. And mm -hmm. so, I mean, I guess I'll say, I, yeah, sure, there probably are people that's for, but as I think through the options, I mean, for me, and I would think for a lot of people, like, why would you want to go and, 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 and do that where you have to be the person doing the thing, taking time away from whatever your family or your friends or your hobbies um, to do that rather than be able to invest passively in something else once you find the right people to partner with. Uh, and, and where it's a situation where it's either occupied or it's not, you know, one or zero binary versus this is a 250 unit complex. I mean, are there people that speaks more to? I would think so. Some of my friends do that, but I think it's the ones that kind of like to control the deal, yep. like to be very active, don't really want to trust somebody else, don't really want to do the passive thing. They have to do the active thing, which again, that used to be my personality. So I wanted to be the guy doing the thing. Now I want to know the guy doing the thing and be the guy on the sidelines cheering him on. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And so let's say there is someone, I and mean, then we probably are a good example of both of us, but let's say there was somebody that wants to start in single family, or maybe they don't have the money, but I think in single family, you can make the money in order to get into multifamily. What would be kind of like a good step-by-step -step game plan or just a, you know, a, a path they could take starting in single family to break into the multifamily space? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, I only have one, I've only done one deal. So I, I probably not the best guy to speak towards that, but I would say, I mean, if you can find, if you can find deal flow, or if you you know, have someone you could partner with. Like in my situation, I provided the signature on the loan. I provided the money. The guy did all the work, bought the, you know, I bought the house in my name. He did all the work and then we split the profits. So I put the talent, the treasury, he put the, 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 uh, the time and the, the talent in. Um, you know, you can certainly do flips or, or do things where, you know, uh, you, you take, you know, a certain amount of money and then you flip it to be more and you flip it again to be more to where you then have, you know, uh, enough to be an entry level situation for multifamily. You know, one of the things I notice about multifamily is for many people, the barrier of entry is very high. You know, so I'm talking about $75,000 and $100,000 deal minimums. That's one of the reasons that I for, uh, uh, started my company, Fortis Equity Group, is so I can lower the barrier of entry. You know, I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll, usually my minimums are 50 and for first time investors, I'll even lower it to 25 because I'm passionate about people getting into the game. Mm -hmm. You know, if, 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 if the difference between me taking 50 and me taking 25 is you get in the game versus you don't, let's get you in the game, you know, and, and then, and then you'll be so passionate about it yourself that you won't want to stop doing it. So, um, um, you know, as far as how to use a single family, the best I would know is just make, let that run deal roll into the next, roll into the next, till that snowball gets big enough that you can invest in uh, in multifamily, and then maybe find somebody in multifamily that's uh, that's comfortable taking some of the lesser amounts and some of the bigger deals that we're seeing. And again, that's why I lowered my barrier of entry because I don't ever want anybody who actually should be you know if that's your last twenty thousand dollars, you should be investing in this, right? And so, uh, but I, but if you have the means and this is for you. I don't want somebody to, to be turned away because it's just a little too much for them. Let's, let's get in the game. Let's get some confidence and let's keep on moving. I love that. And 25,000. I mean, yeah, that sounds like a lot for some people, but compared to what the minimum is for a lot of other deals, that's, that's really awesome. And a, a, a typical path that I know a friend that, that, that took that similar path that kind of to build off of what you were talking about, they started out wholesaling houses, just kind of 
out of their own pocket. You don't need that much. And then you can go ahead and start flipping houses out of the deals that you get. You can cherry pick them, flip them, and then you can use that profits and kind of, like you said, snowball, build it up. And then you can either, if you want to be on the active side, pay into a mentorship like I did, or you can just passively invest into a deal like one of your deals. So I think there's different paths, but I think single family for people that particularly might not come from a lot of money, there's no excuse to not be able to break into the path in real estate that you want to break into. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I, like I tell my kids, you can make excuses, but you can make results, but you can't make yes. both. And yeah. so th there's a way to do anything. You know, if you don't know it, find somebody who does. Uh, you know, there's a thing called the internet that has a lot of information <laughs> on it. You can find someone who's blazed that trail. Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the things I know about successful people, and the more I would say older and successful I get, the more I think is true, is they're, they're not selfish people. They're willing to, to share the information. They're more, they're more concerned at some point and hopefully that'll be me one day, I'm more concerned about legacy than money. How many people did I impact? How many people did I train or teach to do this? And so, you know, find a, a mentor, find someone that, that, that blazed the trail that you're looking at and, and then listen. And then that's the other key is be humble enough to take some advice. And, uh, and, and you know, that, that, to me, that's key. That's been this, one of my keys all along is never be the smartest guy in the room, be humble enough that when someone's talking, I should be listening. And then number two, you know, be humble enough to act on, on what I'm being taught and not just think that I know it all. Because as you mentioned, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. Absolutely. And I would love to know, I mean, a lot of people, a big question that we get all the time is where can they find a mentor? I would recommend they look it up online, but to be more specific and helpful, <laughs> well, what would you uh, recommend people do? What steps can they take to find a mentor? Yeah, so for me, it was I was very blessed and unique that again, I'm going to go back to my friend Kyle Wilson. It's kind of funny because the day I walked into his... Uh, his, uh, his house for a, a mastermind, which I had to Google what that even meant. I wasn't even sure what that meant at the time. Uh, it was kind of like the Alice in Wonderland moment for me. Everything was different for me on the other side of that door. And so uh, I, I found mentors because I was around very giving, heart-centered people that wanted to give. So it was almost like they were offering their mentorship. Here, Rod, here's what I know. Let me share this with you. All I had to do was accept it, right? You know, um, there's a, one of my, one of my, my friends, um, Bob Helms, who he's a, he was 83 or 82 years old when I first met him. He recently passed uh, about maybe six months ago or so. You know, he he uh, he pulled me aside at a real estate conference one time and said, "You know, we live in the same area. I'd love to go and have coffee with you and talk to you a little bit." When an 83 year old guy takes the time for, to, to go and talk to you, you stop what you're doing and you go listen. And I thought, man, that's why he was more worried about legacy at that point. He wanted to impact lives, and so now not everybody is as blessed as I am. To, uh, to do that. So if you if you have an opportunity to go to a meetup or go to a, a, a mastermind group, and you know you can probably get online and research that, uh, or if you go to go to conferences or educational events for the field that you're looking at, and then try to find the person at the front of the room or the person behind the person at the front of the room, the person that seems to know the most. Why not ask the person at the top? Don't ask the you know you don't have to ask the, the junior partner. Go to the faithful senior partner and say, listen, you know. Um, you know, here's what I'm doing. Uh, I would really like to learn more. Uh, you know, you seem to, you, you, you've obviously had a great deal of success. Would you be open to teaching me what you didn't know? And then really, if you're asking for someone to help, don't ask for help, add value. You know, may I offer you such and such for your services in return, right? If you could add value to somebody to where they say, I'm not asking you for something, I'm offering you something. And in return, maybe I'll get, get to hang out with you a little bit more and just glean, glean some information. At the end of the day, I, I would say that's probably the best way to do it. 
Um, most people will just be, you know, I, I feel so so blessed that I, I happened into the way the way I did. But if you have to kind of hustle and find a way to do it, then that's probably going to be your best your best bet. Do some research, uh, put yourself in a room with people that are doing what you want to do. Find the person leading that group, whether they're at the front of the room or behind that person supporting them, and add value to them. Uh, and and from that, then hopefully you'll be able to get a foot in the door to learn some things. Yeah, I love that. And I think that leading with value is so important. There's, uh, we had a podcast guest not that long ago, and she mentioned there's three currencies. There's uh, sanity, time, and money. And uh, if you maybe don't have the money to offer somebody for like a mentorship, maybe you can offer them your time or you can offer them just kind of like making a connection, making their life easier mm-hmm. or making a some certain part of their process less stressful by uh, just saving them some kind of time or, or something like that get creative because you don't just have to pay for people in order to, to provide value. There's a lot of different ways to do that. Absolutely. Well, you know, people that are very successful, they're used to people asking for, for things, right? You know, when you're used to people saying, you know, tugging at your coattails, try and get time or money or, or, or whatever. Uh, when you have someone that says, no, 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 I'm not asking for anything. I'm offering you something. You stop me. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. You know, that person has an impact on you because everyone's you know, got their hand out and that person's holding something out for you. That's something that's very impactful. And, uh, and so you'll really, you typically you'll really uh, have, um, you really stand out from everybody else because most people are asking for things, but offering something. Absolutely. Absolutely. You've shared a ton of value today. I really appreciate it. It's about time for our speed round. Are you ready? Sure. I'm not awesome. sure what that means, but I'm ready. <laughs> awesome. The first, they're just quick, five quick questions. And yeah. um, you know, I'm sure you're going to knock them out of the park. The first 15, one, 15 minutes per question. No, <laughs> 15 seconds. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But the first one, it's it's something you already touched on, so I maybe want a different answer. But what has been the biggest failure or learning lesson that you've had along your real estate journey, and what did you take away from that experience? The biggest learning lesson that I've taken away is to to the confident humility. It's not the forty thousand dollars. It's it's don't always think you know everything. In fact, you know less than you think. Go, you know, be open to learning new things. Be open to finding new information. You know, you hear all the time, never be the smartest person in the room. That's easy for me because the people I hang out with are brilliant. And so, um, you know, it's being open to, to absorbing information from people that know and don't be afraid to go to, some people only go to a room where they're the smartest because they, there's something inside of them that's, you know, they, they're, you know, there's, there's some, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for there? Um, there's something inside of them that just, they have to have that, yeah, ego, there you go. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but for me, if I put that aside and say, listen, I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. And then I want to have the further step of being open-minded to be a sponge. To me, that was the real key is when I stopped being the doctor that knew it all and started being the person that didn't know anything and I was willing to learn anything. That's when many things changed for me. No, I, I, that's so happy you mentioned that. Uh, Cause Sometimes when you have a win, I don't like being in a room where my win seems like almost like I'm intimidating everyone else. I, I want it to be like, oh, this is just another day in the park for these people, you know, like it's nothing. Mm-hmm. And I just, I find myself having so much more room to grow and it's really humbling to be in a room full of people. And I'm just always inspired. I like being pulled up. And so while I do like giving back and like helping other people that might be on a different stage of my journey, I, I love being meeting and just spending time with people that are ahead of me. Cause then it just, A, demystifies it for me. And it also kind of just gives me inspiration and, and I, they can do it. I know I can do it too. Um, so I really love that. But next up, go ahead, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I was going to say, you guys are a very unique perspective because of the age that you're starting. I mean, I started this journey when I was probably about 40 or 42 years old. And so I'll be 50 in a couple of weeks. And so, uh, you know, when you get to the, my age, you're going to have, you're going to be, you're going to have the wisdom of 60 or 70 year old. And so you're going to have, <laughs> and, and you're going to be able to just impact so many people, which is really a blessing for you guys that, uh, you know, and I, you know, I've gotten to know you guys a little better over the last year or so. And uh, you guys are always very respectful, very, very humble, you know, and, and, and that's really what sets people apart. And in the circles that we hang out of, 
that's what you see. The, the, the arrogant people, they stick out like a sore thumb to the point where <laughs> they don't really last. And, but the truth is, by and large, I'm going to, you know, as a generalization, that's part of the industry, right? Very yeah. smart, but very fairly arrogant people. And, and, and it's just, to me, it's like nails on the chalkboard. So, you know, being, you know, I, I, kudos to you guys, because you're going to put yourself in a position to impact so many people simply by time, you know, the, the age that you started, the fact that you're willing to learn from people. So thank you. I appreciate that. And honestly, we couldn't do it without people like you guys and just everyone that the awesome community that we've been lucky to be a part of. Um, I, I, I'd love to know, I'd always love diving into what people want to accomplish moving forward and in the future. So what, what does your long-term, what is your long-term vision for your own business and your real estate journey moving forward? Yeah. And I apologize if I get uh, emotional when I talk about this, but it's not, it doesn't have to do with real estate or money. No my, my long-term vision is that before I die, I want for a thousand people to say, not to me, to themselves, to a relative, my life is better because I met that guy. Not to me. I don't want to hear it. I want to know that I've given so much value that at least a thousand people had to say that. So it's not about money. It's not about legacy. Well, it's about legacy and, and impact, not legacy and dollars. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, 100%. I appreciate you sharing that. And that's awesome. That's awesome. I know, I can already tell that you're going to accomplish that. You've impacted us. And I remember being in the room with you and I could just tell like you were light. You were like, had awesome energy. And I, I don't even know if I'd spoken to you yet. And it was just like very evident. So you have a really great, great energy about you. And I appreciate it. It's an honor meeting you. And then, so uh, thank you. Thank you. And, and, and you might have already touched on this, but uh, another question I love to ask is mm-hmm. what is your why? And yeah, just what drives you? Yeah. So my why is primarily two things. One of them I just touched on is impact. But, but to me, that's, it's hugely important, but it's sort of a, a second to my family. You know, I've got, so one of the biggest blessings of this entire journey, going down the personal development road, changing from the egomaniac to the, to the open-minded person who now chooses to be positive and look at the bright side of things. You know, one of the biggest impacts is, is how I parent my kids. I'm, I'm, I, my kids learn, get lessons that my parents had a huge impact on me, but my parents, you know, they knew, they taught me what they knew. The fact that I'm teaching so much to myself, you know, my kids hear all the time. Be careful what you what you tell yourself because yourself is listening. If you're going to talk to yourself, make it be positive. My kids hear all the time that the success is on the corner of preparation and opportunity, right there on that corner, you know. And so for me, the biggest impact is that what drives me is my, my the whole reason I was put on this earth was not to be a doctor, not to be a real estate investor, was to be a parent to my kids. And so what drives me is to be the best version of myself so that they see that, so they can, they can, look, they can be proud of me. They can look, hey, am I, I, you know, I, uh, I, um, I want to be like my dad, not because they walk into this huge hall and they see me in the big painting with my knee up and a sword in my hand going, it all changed when great-great-grandpa Roderick Cabello got invested in real estate. <laughs> I always joke about stuff like that. But yeah. uh, no, it's because I want them to be able to learn lessons so that they've heard. They, I started learning this stuff when I, was, when I was 42 years old, man. You know, if they learn it from the time that they're they're tiny, that's going to have a huge impact. So that, that's really my driving force is, yeah. is you know, is, is my kids and, and then the impact I want to have in my community. I just, you know, right now, if, you, if nobody's ever, if anybody listening wants to read a good book, The Go-Giver is a phenomenal book. I'm not sure if you read that. That's really my North Star. And so I want to just try to impact as many people as I can. You know, I want to, I want to you know, sign of the grave, knowing that, you know what, I got it done. I did, I did what I was supposed to. My, my kids are proud of me. I'm proud of what I've accomplished. And there's people out there that I feel like are better for knowing me because I try to give that much. And so those are really the two things that really inspire me, my kids and the impact I can have on my community and my, and my network. 
That's awesome. And, and so something a mentor of mine recently told me is like, while all the work we're doing in real estate and on our business is really important, the real work happens when you're working on yourself. And it sounds like you're helping your children and, and empowering them by kind of helping, having them start that, that, that process and that work at an early age, because that's, that's it. I think if you're able to solve all those limiting beliefs and that mindset and really like master it at an early age, and of course it's a lifelong thing, but once you start at an early age, everything else is going to be easy in retrospect or in, in, in contrast. And so that's really awesome. Um, well, let me add to that if you don't mind. So yeah, Jim yeah, Rohn, yeah. one of my mentors, he was always deceased, says the best thing about becoming a millionaire is not the million dollars. It's the person that you had to become to become a millionaire. Yeah. Yep. Right? So you can take the million dollars and the person's going to be a millionaire again because they have that mindset. And so for me, that's that's the journey. It's not becoming wildly successful in real estate. It's helping people, but the person I had to become to get there, that's a different guy than this, the person you're seeing right now. Because if I was already there, I would already have those I would have, I'd already had that if I deserve to be that person already. So I've got to continue to grow to get where I want to go as do you, as do all of us, right? Yep. Yep. Like Miley Cyrus says, it's the climb. It's not. Absolutely. You shared a ton of wisdom today. I really appreciate it. I mean, if there was one piece of advice or, or like gold nugget you'd want someone to walk away with from this episode, what would that be? I would say to protect your mind and protect your associations. Be careful what you pour into yourself. Turn off the TV, turn off the news. But read a book, read Jim Rohn, read John Maxwell, read anything, you know, whatever you like, to, read Robert Kiyosaki, you know, be, guard your mind, guard your associations. It is 100% true that you become the average of the five people you spend most time with. Because, you know, you know, it's not work hard or be tough or be resilient. If you, if you guard your mind to become that person, all those other things take care of, right? Um, uh, Jim Rohn said, don't wish it were easier, wish it were better. Don't wish for less challenges, wish for more skills. If you get better, everything is better for you across your entire world. And so guard your mind, guard your associations, and be careful what you pour in your mind and put positive things that will help you grow, not the stuff you watch on TV. Turn the TV off. Absolutely. And, and to kind of build off of that, you're not that some of the five people you surround yourself with, or you are, sorry. Uh, I think it doesn't have to necessarily be somebody you're in person with too. Like a lot of the content and influencers and the books and authors and podcast hosts like this one that we listen to, those people count just because they're not in the room with you. If they're in your ear and they're on the page that you're reading, that counts. That's the content you're consuming. And that's the person that's rubbing off on you. Absolutely. I've referred to Jim Rohn, what, three or four or five times. He's been dead for eight or 10 years, right? So yeah. he's my mentor. For, yep, for yep, books yep. and audio and podcasts and audiobooks. He's, he's my mentor, no question, uh, because of the value that he brought. And so that so that's legacy, man. Imagine if you know people are gonna listen to you 10 years from now or 50 years from now, thinking, man, I learned from that guy, even those those guys were way back in 2022. That was a long time ago, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So it's just impact and legacy for sure. You know? Absolutely awesome, awesome. If anyone in our audience wants to continue to follow you on your journey or learn more about you, where can they go to do that? Yeah, they can go to uh, my website at FortisEquityGroup.com. That's F-O-R-T-I-S, FortisEquityGroup.com. Uh, you can, uh, you can uh, schedule a call with me there. Uh, you can join our newsletter. I have an educational newsletter that I put out every, uh, every month just to try to educate people in our journey because the confused mind doesn't act. And the more people learn about what we're doing, the more they'll get off the sidelines and get involved. Uh, so that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show, Rod. It was a pleasure. Uh, guys, thanks for tuning in today to the Real Estate Monopoly Show with the Donis Brothers. If you want to access our five mistakes new investors make playbook, go to www.donisinvestmentgroup.com backslash playbook to download that for free. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Let's get out there and take action. Thank you, sir. Have a great day.